Welcome back to our podcast within a podcast, pottering around the overstuffed, minute minute owl of Mangum Reads. We are three muggles who need another uh, level on that clock that just says snacking. My name is Sarah. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, BJ and Spencer. How are you all doing? Uh, doing well. I imagine you're overjoyed to have a chapter that's less than 20 pages to, to uh, summarize this time around. It's just breezy. <laughs> I mean, Feeling good. <laughs> the number of pages to the topics covered, though, there might are, be... Yes. Yeah. There are many topics covered in this mm-hmm. chapter. Um but I will say that they are also just briefly covered. Mm-hmm. They are, they are, we are perhaps in an index for the next couple of chapters. This almost feels like the main plot is now happening off screen for this chapter, and we're just getting the little tidbits that are being shared with us of what that main plot is. And maybe we'll catch up with it eventually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we are on chapter 10 of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, Mayhem at the Ministry. And we have some segments that we do here. We have a rapid-fire recap. We have um, BJ's Wizard Wheezes, Newbie's Notes with Spencer, we award house points, and then uh, questions, queries, qualms, quibbles that might take a little more concrete form now that we're finally getting to, you know, the book. (laughs) The extended intro is now done. Yes. Delightful, though it may be. (laughs) Um, So are we ready for the recap? Uh, assuming you are, this being a shorter chapter, are you feeling gutsy in terms of setting a lower goal for yourself? I actually am, and I'm going to set a significantly lower goal. And given that this oh, chapter wow. is, is in fact, much shorter than previous chapters, and while there is a, is a good deal of information covered in it, it's also, as we mentioned, covered relatively briefly as we go through, um, I am going to set, I'm going to set my bet at 1 minute and 38 seconds. 138 with five seconds on either side. That is possibly the lowest you've ever done, I think, for this. It's aggressive. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> okay. I mean, uh, it's the... the lowest set, but it's definitely not the lowest time. No, there have been some, like, 130-ish chapters mm. in there somewhere. True. True. All right. Well, the time is set. The timer is ready. Are you ready to go? I think so. After the debacle of the night before, our crew leave first thing in the morning, briefly encountering a heavily memory-charmed Mr. Roberts. They wheedle their way into an early port key, and Mrs. Weasley is beside herself when they get home. The Daily Prophet already has the scoop. Uh, She's distraught that the last thing she could have said to the twins was about their owls. As everyone calms down, Mr. Weasley reads uh, reads the news article, determining that the article was written by one Rita Skeeter, a perpetual thorn in the ministry's side. Mr. Weasley and Percy head for the ministry, as they do on and off again throughout this chapter. Uh, Harry's on the lookout for Hedwig with a letter from Sirius, and he, Ron, and Hermione retreat to Ron's room to debrief. Harry actually tells them about his dream and the scar, and they react pretty predictably. There's a, um, oh my god, I lost my place. There's a rehash of Trelawney's prophecy. Ron distracts Harry with Quidditch, which is a real, like, bro move. Mr. Weasley and Percy flit in and out over the next week. The ministry is at sixes and sevens, trying to uh, do damage control, and Mrs. Weasley is looking more anxiously than ever at the clock that tells her where her family members are rather than the time. Percy is legitimately horrible about his father, blaming him for Rita Skeeter's story. Fred and George are huddling suspiciously again. And finally, someone has picked up the Bertha Jorkin's disappearance, none other than that Skeeter woman 
woman who has her nose in everything. But somehow, the winky angle of the wonkiness of the World Cup has been covered up. And as they start to prepare to go back to Hogwarts, they investigate Mrs. Weasley's purchases, with Ron discovering what seems to be his great-aunt's dress. They have been told they need dress robes for this year. Ron's are secondhand and terrible, while Harry's are surprisingly okay. Ron, who has been stuffing treats down Pigwidgeon all day, is unreasonably upset about his lot in life. Uh, you did that within time, but just barely. Oh. Uh, you did that in one thirty-three and change. Oh, I, I am glad I accidentally lost my place in the middle of that. My <laughs> phone notes just randomly scrolled back up to the top, which was not ideal, but fortuitous, I suppose. So, well done. Thank Two you. points for you. Thank you. Um, Even and more few, efficient than you thought you were. Few, few, um, few seconds off my total time, too, I suppose. Mm-hmm. So, Indeed. BJ, um, in this sort of, this is a little bit of a whirlwind chapter, as we've been talking about. It is. What do you have to wheeze about? Um, the first thing that I wanted to wheeze about is the lovely use of Winky and Wonky in the recap. Uh, Thank you. I thoroughly appreciated that, and I wanted to make sure that you got your due due notice. And I did. Uh, I did want to give you a little a little Easter egg treat in there, since you were um, unhappy is too strong a word, but perhaps a little displeased with my recap from last time. <laughs> <laughs> So that was for you, uh, BJ. That is, that is appreciated. <laughs> also, this chapter is not uh, very wheezy. No. Um, it, it, there are hints at a lot of things, uh, but there aren't too many things that um, to really go into uh, in terms of entertaining wordplay or anything like that. Um, I will say that everybody's hatred for Percy uh, mirrors our own, and I do appreciate that. <laughs> Um, Percy is bad in this chapter. Yeah. So Bill, you know, do us a favor, person. Shut up. Uh, <laughs> you know, basically our sentiment since he's been uh, introduced. Um, there's some entertainment that, that I feel like Spencer might go into a little bit about, you know, how the actual articles um, in the paper sound. Uh, it was kind of interesting, but it is kind of uh, curious to me that the wizard papers are read a little bit more like uh, tabloids, shall we say? Mm-hmm. A touch of the Daily Mail or Sun, maybe? Yeah. Um, I was also kind of curious that the paper seems to be the paper, and that mm-hmm. bothers me a lot. That there's no competition? or No, that, that it's it seems to be a paper. Not, oh. not like photos which move or something. This just seems like a... Well, we need to do something with, I guess, the daily profit. Um, and so this is going to be it. And it's just a paper. So I'm actually going to, this is one thing that I think that the movies actually did really well. Okay. Um, and I'm going to try and send you both a picture or perhaps a clip of what what it actually looks like in the in the movies, which I thought was pretty cool. Because it is a paper, but it's cool. also like a very, it, it is a very Harry Potter e paper. Gotcha. Cool. Um, but I will work on that while you continue to wheeze, BJ. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I love that some things are completely nonsensical. Uh, like playing Quidditch is apparently a boy's sport, except every other time that it isn't. <laughs> uh, that feels like just a very um, Hermione thing in the world. <laughs> right. Um, so, so that was very funny to me. Um and then I think the last thing for my wizard wheeze as opposed to questions, uh, which I could also just wheeze about without answers, but um, it seems much more fun to try and put you on the spot, is 
being able to send um, mail bombs to the... Howlers. Well, sure, but it wasn't clear before this that they would explode if you didn't open them immediately. And that, to me, seems a little unwise to just commit to a uh, a thing that can happen um, in in your government job that, that people can send you exploding mail. And that's mm-hmm. just accepted. And, well, my desk got a little singed, and so I'm frustrated about it. <laughs> well, this is also the world that gives you acid pops. It's like a fun thing to eat. <laughs> Send them to your friends. Hand them out on Halloween. Good fun. So when you said acid pops, being in the wizard Uh, world, I went a completely different direction that I think makes more sense. (laughs) I know that's not the direction that things went in. Uh, Maybe a little bit more if Lewis Carroll had written. Sure. You know, the wizard world. Your way is more fun. Well, it's more something anyway. (laughs) Um, yeah, so with that, I will turn it over to our newbie's notes. Okay. Uh, well, I'm just going to reiterate, modify memory is a really damn abusive spell that wizards are way too casual about when it comes to using it on non-wizards. I mean, this is this is like the conversation about the whole flashy thing in Men in Black, is that you're removing entire aspects of someone just kind of shrugging and it's like, ah, hey, you know, they get a bit fuzzy when we do a massive removal of their memory. And they'll work it out. That's not okay, Wizarding World. I know you're treating it as just another thing, but the list of things that you're just treating as another thing is starting to get really long. We need to keep track of these. Uh, discussed it previously when they originally came to this event, but the fact that they climbed Stoatshead Hill to transport to Ottery St. Catchpole and then walked out a damp lane to the borough is the most British sentence ever. <laughs> you can't get more British geography than that sentence, despite the fact that those locations aren't real. They are real in my heart. Uh, reminder to Mr. Weasley, when you have been involved in a dangerous incident and your you know state of being is currently uncertain, call home. Don't just show up. Okay. Give them some reassurance in advance that you are okay. But there's the clock. I know. It utterly it utterly takes away from the power of that scene. They might have I, been listed as in mortal peril. Mortal that that is the that, that is my way of interpreting and reconciling those otherwise conflicting events. Because mm-hmm. she is freaked out, justifiably freaked out about there were dark wizards at this event. They were roaming about. People are injured. Tents were burned. I have no idea if you're okay. And then you just show up at the door without leaving a message. So the question is, does the clock work similarly to the danger sensor and everything sort of mortal peril because bad things could happen? (laughs) You were standing within 30 feet of Harry Potter. Mortal peril. Um, This is perhaps spoilery, although what it is spoiling, I don't is, I suppose, unclear. Um, but we get a specific answer to that later, BJ. Hey. Um, but it, it was... I, I was... I would have been stressed out with Molly Weasley if I knew my family were involved in some kind of serious accident or some horrible event happened where they were, and I don't hear from them until they just show up at the door without advance notice. I know cell phones aren't really a thing in the wizarding world, but there's got to be an equivalent. Uh, and you add nice. Molly Weasley's guilt bars... Mm-hmm. up sky high indeed that the last thing she said to fred and george was to you know browbeat them on the subject of their antics which again they totally deserved in that moment but it's not the last moment you want to remember for a family not really if it was uh, percy Rita Skeeter... there, that might be okay what 
Uh, <laughs> we're going to get to Percy in a minute. Uh, Rita Skeeter seems like the muckraker that the Wizarding World actually desperately needs, even though they're framing her as the bad guy here. Because while there are some clear exaggerated details that are at play, she is pointing out a lot of these very severe problems, if not outright <laughs> incompetence, that appear to be a daily routine at the Ministry of Magic. Yeah, I feel like she's focusing on the wrong parts of the issues, though. Yes and no. I mean, again, her blowing up the incident about what happened at the um, uh, at, at, at um, the championship game, it's fair that she's over-exaggerating the details, she's making it all kinds of, you know, effectively modern newsworthy, but she isn't wrong that it is a bit of a massive security breach that Death Eaters, if I remember their name correctly, mm-hmm. were just able to casually assemble and walk in the middle of this tournament when this is supposed to be the entirety of the British Ministry of Magic that's there and on note to help you know, secure this event. I uh, will is... also point out that like, you may notice that I did, in fact, bring Rita Skeeter up like at least three times in the course of my, my recap. Um, mm-hmm. There is a reason for that, despite the fact that we have never encountered her name before. I, I, I'm keeping track of it. She sounds <laughs> fascinating. Uh, I mean, that, that her, her calling that out appears perfectly justified, even if she's, you know, throwing the wrong people under the bus. Her calling out the whole Bertha Jorkins thing. We've been talking about that. That a friggin' employee has been missing and missing for some time, and you've not heard a single word from her, and you don't tell anybody? <laughs> You're just, and everybody knows it, but everyone's kind of shrugging and saying, well, it's not my department. If she's not under my direct authority, I'm not responsible for the fact or I have no human requirement to inform the powers that be that a person may be dead, dying, or worse out there in the world. You know, that that's some proper muckraking journalism to call out that shit. I mean, it's sort of proper muckraking journalism, but, like, there are loads of things where people could just disappear for a while that aren't really report-worthy. That uh, Quidditch referee did disappear for, like, a couple of months once. Yeah. In the middle of the game. And he was just found later. He was all right, I think, as far as we know. Okay. I mean... Then perhaps, <laughs> then I, perhaps I she's speaking to society on, like, here. Where, where you're viewing this from, because, like, there are, there are researchers that go out and study a given animal for a period of time... And the only, like, governmental or university oversight is, like, did you tell us that you were not going to teach your classes and that (laughs) once-a-year reporting that you have to do, was it turned in by the university, not by you? Like... This is true. There are countless examples of the whole having to go find Dr. Livingston thing when he doesn't report in on time. But those are circumstances of where they were intentionally touring the deepest, darkest Africa. Or they were intentionally on a long assignment and not expected to report in. We don't know any of that with Bertha Jorkins. I'm just saying we don't know. What we have indication that the fact that they know that she's out of contact, and several of the ministry officials have talked about, that's weird, where is she? He's being a little bit too cavalier not reporting this, that even they know, okay, if this was under my immediate command, I might send this up the line, but I'm wiping my hands of it because that's totally the sport official guy's duty and issue. So from now on, when somebody doesn't respond um, in reasonable order to some <laughs> missive, it, it's going to be either pulling a Bertha Jorkins or Bertha Jorkins, I presume. <laughs> Perfectly fine. I appreciate this. I expect to receive this on more than a few text conversations. <laughs> uh, okay, we, we got to talk about Percy. 
Percy is the worst. Dear God, is Percy the worst? And we, we, Sarah, you discussed, and BG, but we both discussed the idea of him just utterly dunking on his dad for just no reason, mm-hmm. just unnecessarily. It's like he knows that he shouldn't that he shouldn't have done that, but clearly, also Rita Skeeter is just going off the wall when she's you know focusing on this, and the ministry is being unfair and you know and holding in any way his feet to the fire for what he said in that given moment. So for Percy to just take the opportunity to just bash his dad over that is just so unnecessary. But that's one thing. Point number two is that his continual refrain throughout all of this is. I'll go in with you to help. That way I can turn in my cauldron report. So, if this... not shut up about that cauldron report. If the thicknesses of cauldrons doesn't come up at some point as something relevant... <laughs> are you going to riot, a check BJ? Off gun? <laughs> I, w- I would consider posting on Twitter for, like, the tenth time and tagging JK and just being like, why, why... <laughs> Like you could you you had a setup Bobby. that people wouldn't quite expect, Bobby. and it makes an entertaining plot point at some point. But you just made a big deal and an insufferable character just to make him insufferable, but in a in a specifically insufferable way because he was generally uns- insufferable before, but now he is specifically <laughs> insufferable. Oh yeah, it's just an, he's an inflated sense of his own importance even associated with these damn cauldrons and this damn report. It, it, at this point, it is basic theater, it is basic literature that are, if there's a gun on stage, it has to go off. So clearly, BJ, clearly, by the basic standards by which modern media is constructed, a cauldron is a cauldron, and its particular thickness is going to save the day before this story is done. It would be really funny if a potion that Voldemort was brewing, like, fell through the bottom of the cauldron <laughs> because yes. he, he got the uh, Chinese knockoff cauldrons. It, which gives them the opportunity to confront Percy and saying, Percy, if you had gotten your way, if proper cauldron rules had been <laughs> adhered to, the world would have ended. Um, also, Sarah, I think you gave Harry way too much credit for sharing the story. I mean, points for partial credit, he did at least let them in to his particular hellish experience, but he buried the lead again. I know. He once again, he once again told them most of the story, but left out probably the most important part of, oh yeah, and at the end of it, I'm pretty sure they discussed my murder. Yes. Um, this is typical, this is this is um, just typical Harry storytelling style. <laughs> we, he can't help himself. If we plot all of the stories that he tells, they all have the same structure. It is not a rising <laughs> and falling narrative. It's a fish hook at the end. <laughs> I feel like the end lesson of the story is going to be he's talking with an adult who, you know, in spite of Harry deduced the plot early and solved it, and so there's just no story now because a proper person in authority knew what they needed to know early. Ah, but I don't think that's going to happen. I enjoy the very much anguishism of when they're saying, we don't know where he is. He could be just in Africa somewhere. It's just a valid (laughs) way of saying we don't know where he is. It's like, he could be anywhere. He'd be like, he could just be in the continent of Africa somewhere. How could we ever find him? Uh, BJ, like you noted, howlers desperately need to be banned. This is sending explosive packages through the mail. We did not know that these things can go off. That is important information. This is, 
Apparently, what we knew about Howlers was 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 Harry explaining what Howlers were and leaving out the fact at the end that oh yeah, they also can explode. Well, we did know that that if you left them unopened, that they would, would open themselves and start that, shouting even louder. I don't think we knew quite the extent of what it could be. Apparently, a covered pot can eventually blow when it comes to these things. I think the previous example we had was uh, Neville with the one his grandmother sent him. Yes. And everyone had told him, dude, you gotta open it. It's only gonna be worse if you don't open it. Oh, Ron got one at one point, too. That's true. Sorry about the dog. Bobby. Um, And they were advised at the time that it won't be worse if you don't open it. I don't think they told us, though, that they would be explosive if you didn't open them. That feels new. That might be a uh, not allowed in school or it's slightly disarmed. (laughs) Because imagine sending a howler to the administration of your school like why don't they spam howlers to every teacher yeah, yeah i feel like they they the hogwarts probably allows how howlers to students as a sort of justifiable punishment from parents but otherwise they are in the in the um sort of class category of the stink bombs that mr filch confiscates from everyone he can find them on yeah. Yeah, now I know what howlers can do. I mean, have you guys ever heard like at the conventions that if you bring like a prop weapon or something mm-hmm. as part of your costume, but you have to like wrap it with a yeah, you have to put a little badge on it. What I was mm-hmm. indicated that it's harmless, not actually a weapon. I feel like if anybody's carrying uh, just like Harry Potter messages anymore, they have to keep a little badge on them now saying totally not actually an explosive. <laughs> uh, it is almost reassuring to know that government fraud is a totally a thing in the wizarding world. Mm-hmm. Uh, Percy is, you know, dealing with the fact that after there has now been a major incident, people are effectively trying to commit insurance fraud and messaging mm-hmm. the government. Mm-hmm. You totally were in just a, a, t- a tent with a piece of cloth rather than that, what, 12-room mansion that he was claiming. It had a certain element of human realism that that level of insurance fraud exists across mediums. Uh, as much as I was complimenting Rita Skeeter, Apparently, she is writing for a level of journalism that it views it perfectly appropriate to, in the article, refer to a per- an employee of the people you're interviewing as a long-haired pillock, <laughs> which is just really amusing to me. Well, your hair is long, so... Eh. Sure, but... <laughs> I have not seen pillock or the equivalent in a New York Times article unless it's in giant quotes to indicate that somebody else said it. I've never heard the writer themselves use that descriptor outside of maybe certain editorial pages. <laughs> I also like that, that uh, as I mentioned, sort of Molly Obizu was like, well, you're not your hair wrong. Is long. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to breeze over the pillock thing, but your hair, can you just let me cut it, please? No. Um, Pigwigan, Pigwigin, mm-hmm. I'm going to pronounce that wrong forever, is the, greatest, is the greatest thing that this book has given us. He is lovely. I adore him. The image of him choking on an overlarge owl treat made my day. <laughs> However, uh, the fact that, again... This is the closest thing we've ever received to hearing what owls eat in this series. And the fact that they're being fed owl treats tells me that either J.K. Rowling doesn't know what owls eat or really doesn't want her readership to think about it. To be fair, there is Purina Chow for almost every animal on the planet. So, like, you know, there are supplements that are necessary, but like there is Purina Chow for everything. There also, is, there, the, pig seems so small. I'm a little unclear what he would actually be eating in the wild. <laughs> yeah, that's a fun question. Actually, what do dwarf owls eat? Assuming whatever they can catch and fit down their gullets. Maybe bugs. Do they eat bugs? <laughs> sure. Why not? 
Um, and finally, the maroon velvet dress with moldy-looking lace frill and matching lace cuffs. Why? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that Mom even tries to defend this to start is just funny. It's like, you know what this is. You know you bought it secondhand while you bought... Did Harry give her money to buy him his stuff? Yes. I don't remember. Yes. Okay. Just making sure. Well... Because if not... That that will be in questions, because that's not what the chapter quite says. Okay. If not, the fact that she spent a lot of extra money to buy him something really nice that matches his green eyes suddenly has a really different read on this chapter. <laughs> oh, um, okay, Spencer. <laughs> uh, but it, I, it's just... I, this is a level of hand-me-down of where I am amazed the Weasleys can even just try to make an effort to explain or justify it to start. No one purchased this and thought that this was going to go down great for their kid when they goes back to school here and shortly. But uh, I said, short chapter, that's actually all I have. But before we go into BJ's questions, many that he appears to have, Sarah, who won and who lost in this particular chapter? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> I'm not super sure. I'm going to talk it all out with you. Because my main question is, can we have a winner or a loser who is mentioned in the chapter, but we do not see I feel if they're mentioned and the events in question are occurring within the chapter and they otherwise meet the criteria for who can win or lose, I think it could still go. BJ, do you agree with that assessment? Okay. I think it it seems to me that one Rita Skeeter is having a very good run of things. Mm -hmm. Uh, This was the the events that her career just lives and (laughs) breathes with. This is everything she's been warning about, warning people about with the ministry for so long, and now she's got the smoking gun. And Several of them, apparently. Front page, above the fold. Um, clearly, many follow-up stories are happening on the heels of this, and indeed, new leads into embarrassing stories to the ministry. This is Christmas and Easter combined. Um, just lock in her Pulitzer or whatever it is for the Wizarding uh, World. Like here we are. I mean- in, in our modern journalistic standards, she's getting a Netflix documentary for this kind of yes, shit. Yes, absolutely. Um, and in, in fact, we will see her get some exclusives later on things oh, unrelated God. to the ministry. Um, so I think, and in, if we're being really honest, Rita Skeeter is kind of the only one who had even a good chapter um, mm-hmm. here. We have a whole bunch of kind of neutrally chapters, maybe, or neutrally experiences in this chapter. Maybe Fred and George had a good chapter. They seem to be cooking something up. But I don't mm. think we really get enough information on what they're doing to award the chapter to them. Um, loser. Percy Mr. was horrible, but doesn't seem to have had a terrible <laughs> chapter in and of himself. Like Mr. Weasley. <laughs> Mr. Weasley seems harried and mm-hmm. all around miserable, and in fact blamed for a whole bunch of things that are not his fault, and his mm-hmm. son is being mean to him, and he has to work when he's supposed to be on vacation. And working hours that he hasn't worked since, and this is where I get a little bit more confused, but since uh, Voldemort's last uh, showing. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that would have been 11, well, no, not 11 years ago at this point, um, 14. 13 years ago. It's all the worst for both him and us, the readers. Is like we talked about last chapter. He was so obviously the most competent person on the ground mm-hmm. throughout all of that. He was the one that was actually bringing things to order, that was putting them in the right direction, that was coordinating efforts. When everybody else was just running around with their head cut with their head cut off, and yet he's the one that the ministry is you know throwing fire at because 
without even being named, he's being associated now with the article. Maybe he was wearing a tan suit. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) A tan suit and a brown pair of shoes. Uh Poor bastard. Um, I would like to put in one other just word about... I think falls a little bit under the purview of winners and losers of the chapter, just because I'm I'm actually quite irritated at Ron at the end of this chapter. I realize mm-hmm. that his secondhand robes are terrible and he shouldn't have to wear them, and they they really are awful. But he does not have to be that min- mean to Pigwidgeon. Damn straight. I, I don't know what level of grudge he has for Pigwidgeon. It, it's a certain carryover from Scrabbers, Scabbers that mm-hmm. he seems to mm-hmm. always kind of treat his pets like he's a, a dick. But Pickwidgeon in particular is just so eager to please and so eager to help and just so excited to be here. Just I mean, I think why, he Ron, just encapsulated why, why a 14-year-old might, boy might not want to deal with this. <laughs> yes, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. But I, calling him, like, secondhand, calling him rubbish, that's so sad. <laughs> It is, but 100%, like, this is also his sister's owl, kind of. His sister owned the owl, or named the owl, but it really is Ron's owl. Yes. It it is accurate for how a 14-year-old boy could behave under those circumstances. So I will accept that it is an accurate read. Doesn't mean it's any more justifiable or appropriate. Fair, fair. As, As we have much evidence to say... 14-year-old boys can be kind of sort of the worst, and they need to be called out on it. Well, I just wanted to put in my my two cents for Pig before we moved on. Mm -hmm. Um, But having done so, questions. Uh, BJ, it seems like you had a few. How were Howlers delivered? By Owls. Carefully. Okay, so we know that Owls don't always take the same amount of time to deliver them. Are we assuming that Howlers have the, like, as soon as you touch this, they start a countdown? Or do think, we have... Or maybe as soon as the owl stops touching it. Okay. Because I was going to say, and but we know that owls can sometimes slightly lose packages. I was just wondering if there was, like, random owl explosions <laughs> oh, God. in the wizarding world. Um, <laughs> so, man, that's, that, that's almost an issue where you need to make sure you've got the right postage. Because if you, you know, hire the mm. wrong owl for the wrong distance, man, that, that, that owl's not returning to sender. No. Um, very... Uh, Cats and and tank bombs, I think it was. Don't know this. Uh, maybe it wasn't cats. The, didn't the Russians try and train? The Russians trained dogs, dogs to run under okay. tanks. Um, and there are some other weird bat and dolphin things, but yes, uh, essentially those. The, the bats and the fire bombs that flew back into their own base and blew it up during the first test yep. is one of my favorite things during oh, World War Two. Yes. You Americans, you totally deserve that one. You attached bats, you attached firebombs to bats and expected them to work under anything you wanted as a plan. Um, how does withdrawing money from Gringotts work? Because apparently, uh, oh, that's right. Uh, Molly Weasley went to Diagon Alley, did everyone's shopping, and also picked up a bunch of money for Harry to have. So I think that this probably happened exactly how we saw in the first book when Dumbledore gave Hagrid a note to go to Gringotts and pick up the package. Um, I think that there are there are ways, you know, we don't get it spelled out in this chapter, but I imagine that Harry has essentially given Molly a note to be able to go and withdraw money from his account in Gringotts. He has signed the back of the check. Okay. 
Um, uh, Spencer Good. I mean, given given that everyone at Gringotts is recognized on site, I think that they would allow Molly to take money from his account okay. with some sort of permission from him. Uh, is the Daily Prophet the only newspaper slash media outlet that we see in the Harry Potter world? It is by far the behemoth of the media world. Um, okay. However, so Murdoch operation. <laughs> we do see one plucky little upstart publication, uh, not in this book, but I believe in the next book uh, that I will be very excited to talk about with you all. But at this point, the the main the main source of news for the entire wizarding community or for the entire British wizarding community is the Daily Prophet. Gotcha. Um, but given the uh, the interesting tone, tenor, and slant of said publication, it has in fact um, attracted at least some some competition. Interesting. Oh, so, oh God. is there some sort of um, like reporter on the spot, or does Rita Skeeter like have? some sort of sources or is there scrying involved like or do it is this maybe a plot point for the future in fact bj that is a plot point for the future um i have a clock question okay um that i won't be addressed in this book and I don't know if it will be addressed in in the stories that we get, but um, let's say somebody gets married or has kids. Like, is there a way to add hands? Like, you know, was the, or was this grandfather clock put in after Ginny was born? Um, I I don't I w- I mean I would imagine that there has to be a way to. There has to be a way to add hands in. However, we do. <laughs> it does not seem that the Weasleys, welcoming and accepting as they as they are to just about everyone, it does not seem that like marriages past our our Weasley parents, marriages do not necessitate a new hand on. Yeah, because I was going to say on Bill the clock. could be married. I don't yeah, remember. and I, I mean, I won't say to whom, but Bill does get married before the end of the season, or at the end of the series. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't, I feel like we see the clock after he gets married. Interesting. And it does not have his wife's name on it. This clock feels like one of those things that will practically never return again, but is incredibly magically relevant and powerful. This is the kind of thing where the government would want to have a clock running on every single citizen at all times. We never it, see another one of these. I mean, if we if see this one again, bo- but we don't actually like this. Is, seems to be another one of those like singular objects. Like when when's the, the last time map. we see this? When's the what? When is the last time we see the clock? The last time we see the clock? Um, I think we see it in the last book. Interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, we see it. We see it late. I don't remember if it's actually the last book, but it's the last or the second to last. I'm pretty sure it's the last book. Anyway, um, I, I, that's everything I have. It was a pretty short chapter. 
Yeah, it, it, it is a pretty short chapter. I mean, I guess we can return to questions about owls another, at another point rather than having them every damn chapter. That... <laughs> you do ask more questions. It's owls and the damn paintings and pictures have the most questions about them. Well, because we get more information and it gets more confusing. <laughs> um, so if there are no more questions, next time we chapter have chapter 11. 11, Aboard the Hogwarts Express. Okay, that, that is a chapter that's being so honest about being a transitionary chapter. I don't know how to... I can't fault it for that. <laughs> it, it says what it is. And <laughs> we're on a train. And nicely enough, they actually seem to have cared about uh, an owl enough to almost cover the cage while it's thunderstorming. Mm-hmm. Yep. It seems to at least not be getting wet, but it had to be open a little bit so that we could see that it was, in fact, an owl in there. Yes. Also, is that a hat box? It might be. Is that owl meant to be... Um... Hedwig? Hedwig? I was going to ask, is that Hedwig or is that Pig? I'm presuming it's not Pig. No, I think it's that's big. Hedwig, yeah. Hedwig's back, yay, spoilers. <laughs> so it's a good chapter, yay. <laughs> Everything's going to go fine. <laughs> um, all right, well, this has been fun, guys. Indeed. Looking forward to the next one.